there's no greater joy in life than becoming a mom or dad. And just when I got the hang of it, my own mom and dad started needing help too. If you're raising kids and helping aging parents, welcome aboard. You're one of us in the sandwich generation. This is the sandwich generation with Chris Godfrey. Chris was an offensive lineman with the Super Bowl 21 champion, New York Giants. Today, he is an estate planning and elder law attorney in South Bend, helping families make the most of their home field advantage. Hello, I'm Chris Godfrey and welcome to The Sandwich Generation, where summertime brings a different and wonderful dynamic to family relations. The kids are more active and the parents, and especially the grandparents, really feel it. I love playing with the grandkids, uh, but it's really challenging because they, they want to play with you and they want to do everything you did the last time, plus something new. And if there's water involved, you're going to get wet. But it's like everything else in the sandwich generation. You wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And our guest today is well acquainted with youthful enthusiasms, being a longtime sports reporter ranging from Notre Dame football to our local high school sports scene as Redeemer Radio's sports director, Angelo DiCarlo. Welcome to our show, Ange. Thanks for having me, Chris. Glad to be here. Now, DiCarlo, is that a French name? I mean, I'm asking that simply because I just watched the great movie uh, A Year in Provence. And uh, in Provence, uh, bocce is a big game. I think they call it boule. And the last time we were together and for a, any length of time, we actually made a donation to Redeemer Radio for you to come in and save our game with some miraculous shot. And you follow through with that. So is that something that comes from your background? That, that would be Sicilian, not French, of course. I know you're just pulling my chain because you know i'm a proud sicilian but bocce is definitely a big italian game and uh we got the big event coming up on august 2nd but yes i remember that very well a couple years back when we played you know everyone's like i i try to play it up as the mc to tell people hey look i'm the italian guy i can probably make a good throw here and you guys paid like i don't know 50 bucks to have me throw it and i put it I don't know, like three inches away from the Polino. And then I got four other people to do it. I never put it within like five feet from there. But <laughs> the first one was the one that mattered the most. So it yes. was money well spent on our behalf. <laughs> well, you, where did you learn those skills? Did you grow up in a multi-generational family where that and other things were passed on? Yeah, I mean, my parents, we vacationed in Florida. And by doing so, being down there, my parents are Sicilian immigrants. And they have a big bocce ball court down at the beach area and they get together with their friends. So we would just play a lot growing up doing that. I never played it a ton, but uh, yeah, growing up in a family where Sicilian is spoken first mm -hmm. and English is spoken second was definitely the case for me growing up. My mom and dad both speak English, but it's broken English. The fact that my mom is now very well acquainted on Facebook is one of the most remarkable things my siblings and I have ever witnessed because we would have never have guessed that she would figure out Facebook. But it turns out she is actually the technology queen of the DiCarlo household, not my brother and I. It's her who is the media savvy one because she has nailed it and she is posting all the time, which is hilarious. To us. <laughs> Some of those embarrassing baby pictures of yours, perhaps. But she hasn't posted those yet, but sometimes the, <laughs> the, the quotes are interesting because uh, she never... She learned English from my dad, and my dad learned English from selling pots and pans when he came over from, from Sicily. So they never really went through proper schooling for it. So my mom never had a great written grasp of the English language. So when she started jumping on Facebook, she uh, actually could read the quotes, and she would get a notepad and write them down and save those 
comments for other people's posts down the road. And she's actually probably taught herself in the last two years how to write and read in English better because of Facebook. It's Oh, it's bizarre. She must be a great poster, too, because of all the thought that goes into it and the preparations. Some of the things you see posted, it's like you wish they would have spent a little more time with them. Well, she's she's there, but she'll post a lot of photos. And and I'm surprised there has not been a baby photo of me just yet, but I'm sure it's coming at some point. (laughs) Blackmail first and then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you grew up in a multi-generational family in more ways than just taking vacations together, didn't you? Yeah. uh, My grandma lived with us for about seven years years, maybe start of high school until my college years. She was the second person, I believe, that came over from Sicily. And she came over and she she lived till she was 96 years old. Oh and she lived in America for 50 years. But my grandmother, Nana Giovanna, we called her. Nana is, is the Sicilian name for grandmother, Nana Giovanna. And she barely spoke English, lived here 50 something years, knew 10 words of English. So it was good for me because it, it made me practice my Sicilian because I had to talk to her a lot when she was living with us. But I think she was in her upper 80s when she started kind of slowing down a little bit. And it was basically a memory issue. I don't know. It it probably was some form of uh, dementia or Alzheimer's. But, you know, in the late 90s, we didn't use that terminology. Just said, hey, she's losing her memory. So it's my dad's mom. But my mom is the one that was the caretaker for those seven years. And and my my aunt, who lives next door to us, helped out as well for about, I think, a month or two of the year. She would take my grandmother. And then the majority of the year, though, my mom was her primary caretaker for seven years. So mm-hmm. uh, it was great bonding experience, but very impressive that my mom was willing to take care of her mother-in-law, who my grandmother, I love her to death was not probably the easiest mother-in-law to deal with by any means. Mm-hmm. But my mom knew it was important to do, and she, and she did it. And they, they got along as well as you could imagine under the circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless her. I must have made it easier with you being such a great kid, huh? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that, you know, at that point, I, I, I enjoyed being there. You know, when we would go to my grandmother's house growing up, oftentimes my parents would have a wedding to go to in New York. So she lived in New York while we lived in Pennsylvania. So we were about two hours away. My grandfather passed away uh, about six months before I was born. So I never knew him. But my grandmother would watch us. And all she had was a black and white 13 inch TV. And if you watched it for more than like a half hour or an hour, she thought the TV set was going to blow up. So she'd come over, turn it off and pull the plug (laughs) off of the wall and put wrap it around. So you had to do a lot of self-entertaining. And there were definitely times when we would uh, grab some like napkins and wrap it around in a foil and create like foil ball. And that didn't necessarily go over well because my grandmother would vanish for a little bit. And all of a sudden she's chasing us around with a broom because we (laughs) we've annoyed her now because she had to deal with six grandkids from multiple, you know, with my cousins and everything. So was um, she using some of those 10 words of English that she knew on you? No, it was probably Sicilian words that we still can't say on the radio because (laughs) if someone looked it up, it probably wouldn't have been appropriate. So, yeah. So then she she came to live with us in in 1997 and she lived with us for seven years or so. And and that was great bonding experience for all of us. And and I had some opportunities where, you know, obviously I said my aunt would help out for a month or two in there, but I would help out, too. I would 
watch my grandmother on occasion. And my mom would go out with my dad and have a good time or whatever. And and we would watch her. And But the thing was, she couldn't walk very well. So mm-hmm. it was like you didn't have to do too much. You just had to get her basically from the couch to the bathroom every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So I would have friends over and we'd play some games and that would lead to some hijinks of many kinds with my grandmother over those few <laughs> years, which was we still talk about with my friends uh, uh-huh. every once in a while. You probably provided some important entertainment for her, at least up to a point. I don't know. I think she provided the entertainment for us. She was get she would get annoyed by the loud noise. So usually we would play. I'd have five or six friends and we'd probably be just playing poker in high school or college. I would grab my grandmother and every once in a while I'm like, all right, we got to go to the bathroom and I start bringing her over and we're playing at the kitchen table, but we're playing cards. It's not like we're eating dinner, right? Mm-hmm. But my friend is wearing a hat at the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. That is not a very good thing to do around a Sicilian grandmother. And she just, she looks at him and she's like, leave it to Capeggio. I'm like, Nick, take off your hat. Leave it to Capeggio. He's like, what? I'm like, Nick, take off your hat. Leave it to Capeggio. She told him three times and all of a sudden, boom. She <laughs> she bashed him upside the back of the head. That hat went flying across the table. And man, we laughed so hard. I, it was the funniest thing in the world. And he he had no idea what was going on. And she was screaming at him, Sicilian. And we just had I, I still we bring it up. Nick's one of my closest <laughs> friends. And we bring it up every once in a while. Uh, one other time when we were playing poker, we had a lot of money on the table. I, I don't know why. Usually you play with chips and everything, but for whatever reason, whatever game we were playing, the money was just all in the center. I mean, it wasn't a ton of money, but there was a lot of like one dollar bills and stuff like that. So it looked like a decent amount. So I'm bringing my grandmother and she's she walks very, very slowly. It's like stutter, 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 stutter a little bit. It takes it takes like almost five minutes to walk to the bathroom for her. She gets to the table and she sees all the money and she literally reaches over to grab the money and steal it and start trying to like (laughs) run away. And I'm like, where are you going? And she grabbed like seven bucks and started to to try to, and I don't, you know, I don't know if she, she thought it was funny or if she actually thought she was getting away with the money or what, either way, it was highly entertaining. And, but you know, it was a, it was a blessing because uh, you know, those are times that you, you cherish, you know, your shows, the sandwich generation, you have all the multiple layers and I got blessed to be a part of, the kid side of that Mm -hmm. for a good chunk of my childhood. And it was very, very rewarding because, you know, you can laugh about these stories for the rest of your life. And and a lot of the humor came from just adjusting to still being a kid, but then also being a caregiver and kind of going back and forth and never knowing where that line was drawn and just following your grandmother's lead. Yeah. I mean, because it, it was strange because when you know, I'm seven, eight years old. Obviously, when I'm going to stay at her house while my parents are at a wedding or at an event, she's in charge. Right. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's a little weird. I'm 17, 18 years old. I'm kind of the one in charge. Now, she can tell me whatever she wants at any point. Right. And there's only so much I can do. But she she also needs me to give her her food or to take her to the bathroom if I'm the one that's taking care of her that night. Mm-hmm. So it, it was an interesting dynamic. And, you know, you learned responsibility in that regard, whereas I appreciated the fact that my mom said, yeah, you, I need you to watch her. But if you want your friends to come over and you guys want to do something, that's OK, as long as you're taking care of her. So th- that was not a, that big of a deal. It was like, OK, I can help out and 
you know, my friends were always entertained by the situation. So, you know, it worked out and she sat in sat in her seat in the couch and she maybe watched a little TV, but not really. She kind of just sat there. And I always looking back, we did feel bad because, you know, for those seven years at that point, her memory was not very strong anymore. You know, she knew we were family. But to say at that point that she could say my name and know who I was, Mm -hmm. it wasn't very strong. She would remember her, my dad, her son, and she could name it off. But like sometimes she wasn't positive who he was. Mm -hmm. She knew we were family. She knew we were there taking care of her. But like she couldn't remember exactly who we were. So those were always sad moments when you noticed it was getting maybe a little worse. I mean, it wasn't good. She had to come because it wasn't good anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. But it did get a little worse as the years went on. And she would tell maybe the same few stories over and over again that she would remember, like she would remember her dad passed away when she was a young kid and she could recall that story so well. And every once in a while, you're like, you know what? Let's just let her tell that story, you know, and she doesn't know she's told it for the 80th time this week. But I think it was it was always good for her because then she at least got. It gave her something to do to tell a story that she could remember. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, you're listening to The Sandwich Generation on Spoke Street Media. I'm Chris Godfrey. My guest today is Angelo DiCarlo, sports director for Redeemer Radio. And today we're discussing The Sandwich Generation from different perspectives. And we've been talking about the perspective of being a grandson and helping. But you've, you learned some of those very important people, family skills from your mom and how that was passed on. That doesn't come innate to any young man who likes to play poker, (laughs) at least from my experience, but you learned that from your mom. Yeah. God bless my mom because, you know, my dad basically put it on her. My dad was your typical Sicilian father. He didn't change diapers. I mean, maybe he fed me every once in a while. I'm not sure, but I know he never changed a diaper before. We joked when they were visiting uh, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, I'm a new dad. And I was like, oh, dad, do you want to change Lily's diaper? And we all laughed because it was like (laughs) we didn't even give him a chance to answer. Right. Because he's like even to hold her. He's like, oh, what am I got? But he loves playing with her and everything like that. And my dad was always don't get me wrong. My dad was an awesome dad. I mean, as good of a dad, but he wasn't necessarily hands on on the domestic side of things. So you learned, obviously, all that from my mom. And I think that connection between my mom, my grandmother and I, you know, I told the story recently of how I started drifting away from I want to say drifting away from my faith, but like I wasn't going to church that much once I was a junior or senior in high school and into my college years, just like a lot of young adults do and and drift away. And it wasn't until the last five years that I really came back to the church and my faith. But, you know, my grandmother, as little English she knew, mm-hmm. she loved going to church. And my mom would take her every Sunday. And my grandmother loved going. And I, I enjoyed going, you know, with both of them. Like, I thought it was fun as an activity to go with my grandmother to church. That was like a little bond that we could have together. It was a hassle for my mom. My mom always goes to church every Sunday. But it, w- it would be a hassle for her to bring my grandmother because she moving so slowly, moving so slowly, different aspects. But she knew it was important for my grandmother. So it was another way that my mom always went out of her way to take care of her mother-in-law, which I always thought was fabulous. And maybe at the time, I really didn't appreciate what my mom was doing. Mm-hmm. And then you think about it and it's like, this is not your mom. <laughs> this is your mother-in-law. And what she was doing was really incredible because maybe my grandmother should have been in a home, but we didn't believe in doing that, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it worked out well because we got seven great years together as a family with her that I don't know how much we would have 
been able to connect with her if she was in a home or something like that, which was never really an option. It was like, someone's taking care of it. It's who? And yeah. it, that got just basically pinned on my mom at one yeah, point. Yeah. And her faith sustained her. And, it, yep. it, and the faith turned out to be a bond that they shared, probably helped their relationship. And certainly, as you shared, the three of you sharing that moment together. And I, here, many years later, it's still with you. Absolutely. I think it's always a, it's one of the fondest memories of my childhood, really. I'm guessing that we got quite a few people listening to this right now that are wondering if there's been a, a generational break between you and your father here. Are you doing diapers? <laughs> yes. I, I'm definitely hands-on. I don't think my wife uh, would have uh, allowed for me to be like my dad in that regard. So yes, uh, I am definitely very hands-on. My my brother was also hands-on. My brother-in-law was hands-on. So I think that changed pretty quickly uh, after, <laughs> after that point. My dad was probably the last breed that got away with that. Yeah, so so that is different, and but but I love it. I love being a dad, and uh, Lily is now four months. Lily's named after my mom, oh, nice. so uh, my mom's name is Lilina. So we have a tradition in our family where we get the kids get named after grandparents. So um, we try to bring that back a little bit, and uh, I, I think it was one of those things. Again, my mom did so much, and my my dad's got uh, a Giovanni named after him, and my in <laughs> my nephew from my brother, and uh, now my mom's got. Lily named after her from us. Excellent. And where do you go from here? Well, we'll we'll see. We can't we can't disclose we can't disclose <laughs> okay. what what's what's going to happen just yet. You know, there's some future. negotiations to go yeah, through. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. There's okay. there's there's definitely a lot of those for 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 down the road to see. So, how have you negotiated all the other things that becoming new parents? So how are you dividing the labor? And uh, well, we I think we just try to do our best. My wife obviously does a lot. She stayed at home for the last three months, and she's been working from home, so she does a lot in that regard. I, I try to take as much off of her plate as I possibly can, but I think it's weird. I'm the calmer of the two in some ways, but she's certainly the better parent in terms of being able to handle more like I would be the one that would probably get more exhausted quicker. But if there is a chaos situation, I'm probably the one that's a little calmer in it. And in the grand scheme of not overreacting to, oh, she's starting to do this now. Everything. We got to change this. We got to change this. It's like, OK, that was it's been two days. Let's just <laughs> let's just wait it out a little bit and see. And maybe that's because she's more hands on and she's working from home. So we have someone coming over and helping out which is actually a, a close family friend, Mary Freebie. So Chuck Freebie's daughter has been helping us out in the summer, which has been great. And then my mother-in-law, who lives in Chicago, has been awesome too. And she's been watching Lily once or twice a week as well. But Molly's been working from home. So she know, you know, she knows everything. So but I'll I'll feed her, I'll put her down for bed. I will do all those things that which I should, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we should be hands-on as parents on both ends. So I try to take as much responsibility as I possibly can. Like just this week, it was like I try to let Molly sleep in a little bit. And I'm like, OK, I'll wake up with her. I'm not a morning riser by any means. But she's she's been great in letting me sleep in a lot in the morning and taking those early wake ups because my days at WNDU anchoring sports at 1120 have messed up my sleep cycle probably for a long time because I still <laughs> three years removed, still haven't broken it. And uh, I still need that beauty sleep from uh, six to seven thirty in the morning. Well, don't lose that because uh, if you do have another one, you told me that your, your, your child has been really good, not a crier. Yeah, and, she, uh, she is excellent. So 
But yeah. then if you have another one that might be one of those uh, in the middle of the night criers, so you might want to rely on that late night sports desk. I'm <laughs> wide awake, ready for action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and sometimes that would be the case. I do the dream feed for her at 11 o'clock while Molly tries to go to bed a little bit earlier and then try to pick up some more of the overnight ones. Sometimes Molly notices I'm sleeping very hard and I don't notice that Lily's awake and she just goes and do- does it. And I'm like, ah. I, you're supposed to wake me. She goes, dude, I could have hit you with a brick and you wouldn't have moved. So she's like, I might as well just do it. You were sleeping so hard. I'm like, all right, fair enough. I appreciate it. But I feel bad then yeah. you know, in, in that regard. Yeah, I, I love hearing the give and take. You know, it reminds me of my own. They say getting married and having a family makes you a better person. And it's not because you choose to. It's just life happens and you have to react. And am I going to give the best of myself here or not? And uh, or am I going to cover for somebody? Well, in so many ways, I feel like this has been the best four months of our marriage. In other ways, my wife will completely disagree, right? Because you're not able to do the things you used to do. There is another person involved that pretty much dictates your life yeah, at this yeah. point. But And the sooner you realize it, right. the sooner everybody's going to be happier. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time... You know, I feel like our bond, me seeing Molly as a mom has made me love her that much more and seeing how well she is with Lily and and me learning from her as a parent, you know, has has meant so much to me. And I, I think that's been extra special in that regard. And I feel like that's allowed us to grow stronger. I'm sure Molly would argue in up opposite ways, certain things, because, you know, she's like, yeah, but we don't get to do this and this and this because she sometimes in the, the heart of it. She's the one that's more often in the weeds of the stuff as much as I'm trying to pick up stuff. Yeah. She's still the primary caregiver. And, and that is that is a burden, especially for someone who's working a full time job. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that that that's a lot different than my mom, who, yes, raised me, but my mom did not have a job when she was doing so. So it's a lot more of a burden for this generation who more times than not are, are working. And then you think about the people that maybe they're it's a single parent household and it's remarkable. I, I, I don't even I can't even imagine how those parents deal with those situations because, you know, we, we've got a zone defense here, two on one, and we can barely handle it, sometimes three on one. And we, we can barely the double coverage can barely get it done, let alone if you're undermanned. <laughs> so here comes that, that sports director background that's coming to, to play here, which brings to mind, you know, uh, the things that you learn from your own family background, things that you learn from your professional background. Are there certain things you want to make sure that you pass on to your children? Well, we're, we're far away from my family. My family's in eastern Pennsylvania, so it's a 10-hour drive. So I want her to know that she comes from a big family. Mm -hmm. So we try to FaceTime with my parents as much as possible. They've met Lily now twice. We went out there in in May and then they came in in June as well. So and same with my brother's family and my sister's family. And then we have, you know, 50 first cousins. So we don't really get to see them as much, obviously, because it's hard, you know, and and they have all their kids. So you, you do that. So I think knowing she comes from a big family where she does not on her on her mom's side. Her mom's side is very small. It's the exact opposite in that regard. So having that family unity and knowing that, I would love for her to know her Sicilian background in some form. So there's a couple Italian songs, Sicilian songs that we sing, nursery rhymes that we'll do. 
with her so that hopefully she she has that a little bit. I don't expect that she'll learn the language because I just my my skill set in that area is not as strong. Like my mom will talk to me in Sicilian. I'll answer in English. So my speaking in Sicilian is not as strong. And, you know, now 14 years out from there, I don't I don't speak as well as probably I did uh, long ago. But I, I think keeping that family, that family is important. That faith's important. My mom didn't necessarily push faith on us as kids, but, you know, we we try to pray with Lily before bed every every night. And I think that's important. Mm-hmm. We've, we've started bringing her now to church and she's been good. She loves music, mm. which is w- hilarious because I'll sing to her and I have the worst. As much as my voice is good for, you know, broadcasting on TV and radio, it is not for singing, but she likes it. So she's the audience that finally enjoys my singing. But uh, at church, she'll like the music at church. And she's so far survived very well at church and she was very good at her baptism. So we've been blessed in that regard early on. So hopefully that keeps up and we've just been blessed. It's been great to be a a new father. I'm 38, so I'm an older father in that regard. Not as old as my dad was when I was born. He was 48 uh, and I was the last in in the line, but uh, it's been a blessing to finally be a dad. And I feel like I'm ready now to have been a dad probably 10 years ago. I was probably not ready. And so I think uh, God pushed me off a little bit for, for when I was ready. Well, it sounds like a, a, a football player after 10 years in the career. They wish they had the energy that they had 10 years ago, but they, they really appreciate the knowledge that they have today. And wouldn't it be great if we had the energy and the knowledge put together, but <laughs> that's not the way God makes it. That, that, that is a great example because I think I, I look back at some of those years of doing Countdown to Kickoff and the postgame show at WNDU, and I'm like, I don't have anywhere close to that kind of energy anymore. I could use some of that uh, for, in different ways, but you're right. It's the knowledge, it's the knowledge and the experience, I guess, maybe, mm-hmm. and having that you know, I'm not as some would argue differently, but I'm not as off the wall as I used to be. So I'm a little calmer these days. For those that think that's crazy, they didn't see me 10 years ago when I was even crazier than I am now. So <laughs> that is, I think that's allowed me to have the proper perspective as being a dad. And and I think that you probably learned a lot. We all learn a lot from our participation in sports, right? We're all made up of talent and heart. Our talent's God-given, therefore we can't really brag about it, right? It's given to us. But our, our characters are things that we make for ourselves and the choices that we make. And one of the, the great things about sports is it puts you in positions where you can make right choices, do things that stretch you a little bit, like getting married, right? And from you're working with the uh, young people today at Marion and St. Joe High School and then the area high schools as well, covering sports for Redeemer Radio. What are some of the, do a couple of situations come to the fore from your experience where you see the the beneficial aspects of sports in young people's lives and how it prepares them for perhaps being dads or mothers of their own someday? Well, I think it's the problem solving. So we we have the internship program that's now a class with the St. Joe and Marion kids. They're hands-on with our broadcast. They're our sideline reporters. They're the camera operator. They'll be statisticians. They'll run social media while we're doing our broadcast. And I recall there was a game last year. We were doing St. Joe, New Prairie, boys basketball, and nothing wanted to work right pregame. Like the radio equipment didn't want to work right. The video equipment didn't want to work right. The internet in the building didn't want to work. What a good day. (laughs) It was brutal. And for an hour and a half, nothing wanted to work. There was a lot of troubleshooting going on. And, you know, they were like kind of staying out of my way in some form because they they knew they were asking if they could help. But I would say, okay, do this, do that. And, you know, we got on the air just as tip off was happening. 
And then from there, we were fine. But that hour and a half beforehand was crazy. And I think they even talked about it the rest of class, the rest of the school year. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, that that was a crazy day. And they learned, okay, not everything works, right? And sometimes for whatever reason, stuff doesn't work. And how do you process to fix things in in tough situations? Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the biggest things that I think they're learning because it's all great when everything's working fine, right? And everyone has a good time. It's really how do you react when things go wrong? Mm -hmm. And that happens a lot in sports too, right? How do you react when things go wrong? Those are the life lessons that are going to help you the next time you're in a difficult situation when something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what they learn the most in this because it's, it's really spearheading it in their face because, you know, they might record an interview on their phone and all of a sudden, oh, the audio didn't come out as well as I thought. What happened? The microphone wasn't working. All right, well, how do you fix this now? What are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And I think that those are the lessons I think they come away with the most. Sports present many opportunities for parents to become better people too, right? There's There's a lot of talk, at least at the beginning of the seasons, about sportsmanship and the stands and all the rest. So parents have, you know, they're entering into this world of sports, many of them for the first time. You know, they have preconceptions of what's expected of them, of their children, what it should look like, what the coaches should be doing. Just just a lot of pressure. And sometimes people react badly under the pressure. You talked about young people in the studio of everything going wrong and wanting to make sure you react in the right way. Any advice you might give parents who are venturing into this uncharted world of being parents of young athletes? Remember, they're young athletes. They're not professionals. I think that's the biggest key. And I think, by and large, the parent of a high school and youth sports sometimes get a bad rap because of the bad apples that are out there. Mm -hmm. There are definitely some parents that take it to an extreme, right? Mm -hmm. And they get way too involved. They're the ones that are yelling at the referee, yelling at the umpire, and not realizing that these are human beings who make mistakes and are are trying. I mean, there's a shortage of referees and umpires out there because they get bullied by by parents. So but I think by and large, most parents I've interacted with are great people. And and I think you see that with the student athlete. You can tell who has the the parents that are maybe they might be pushy in terms of wanting their kid to do some great things. But I think understanding your coaches are there for your kids. They're not for the most part. They're not adversarial to your kids. I think is is one of the big things and and understanding that this is supposed to be a time that they have fun. Yes, some of them will get scholarships. Some of them will go to college. Some may be blessed and and play professionally, but that's it's a very small amount. So let them enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe let them play multiple sports. We don't see that as much anymore. Right. Because in order to make it to the to college or whatever, you've got to specialize and and play one sport constantly year and around. And that's not as fun. And then that sometimes leads to kids just they don't want to play the sport anymore, even yeah. if they're really good at it. Yeah. So, you know, let them have fun. I mean, I think that's that's the biggest advice is make sure that they're still having fun with it, because sometimes you see kids not having fun as much. Like I enjoyed playing wiffle ball as a kid as much as I enjoyed playing baseball, soccer or running track. Um, those were great experiences in the summer. But I wasn't running around with my head chopped off going to every AU tournament or or whatever travel event during the summer you know i i we were just kids making up games in the backyard so i wish kids could have the opportunity to get back to that and i think parents can hopefully lead them in that direction i think that my biggest thing would be 
just let them have fun as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. And I would also add to that, uh, being a little on the other side now, is never leave, losing your perspective uh, from the standpoint of the most important things in life. And one of the easy things that presents themselves to parents of active athletes is just blowing off Sunday mass, whether it's games or you're traveling and it's going to be difficult. You know, where's the church? What times are the masses? Nobody else on the team is going, that sort of a thing. And it's all too easy to take that travel dispensation or whatever other justification that you can use. But like anything else, you know, studies have shown that the biggest things that kids learn from you is what you think is important. And you might have gone to mass your whole life and figure I can just blow off the season with the kids, soccer or whatever they might do, be doing. But for them, that's that's a very formative time of their lives. And you're and they're going to be leaving the nest soon for this confused world. And you're probably nervous about that if you're paying attention as a parent. And the best handoff you can make is to hand them off to our Lord. And uh, you want to make sure that you're strengthening uh, their relationship with him it's at the same time that you're strengthening their relationship with everybody else in your extended family. You know, God will reward that. And if you, if you trust him and do the things that you can do as a parent, you'll be happy. Which is even more dramatic than calling in the Sicilian fixer at the end of the Redeemer Radio bocce tournament. <laughs> and, and by the way, there's another one of those coming up, isn't there? Monday, August 2nd. Oh, it's right around the corner. Bishop Rhodes will be there. Uh, you should be as well, whoever's listening. So come on board, sign up, go to RedeemerRadio.com. It's a great time. And young adults, 21 to 35, get, uh, get in for half price. Oh, beautiful. And so how else can you uh, participate? You could, you could play. You could just come and be a spectator. You could be a volunteer if you want. There's multiple ways. It, and if you don't know how to play, trust me, we'll teach you. It's not a problem. It's it's just a fun event. It's a good fundraiser. Like I said, Bishop will be there. There'll be mass beforehand for those that can make it in time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, I mean, Chris, you've, you've been there. You know it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It's just a night of community coming together and to help to support uh, Redeemer Radio. Excellent. And there's a lot of good food and drink, too. Yes, and as an old coach, a cheap coach of mine used to say, they have everything there but a cash register. So one o price open gets you at all. Open bar, open <laughs> bar with your uh, with your ticket. So make sure your competitors are drinking freely so you can <laughs> do better in the semifinals. Well, thanks for being with us today, Anj. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. It was a blast. This has been fun. I'm Chris Godfrey, and you've been listening to The Sandwich Generation, where we are better because of each other. And for more great Catholic podcasts, check out Spokestreet.com. And I look forward to being with you the next time. If you have a question about today's topic, feel free to email us at sandwichgeneration at redeemerradio.com. Comments by the host or any of his guests should not be construed as legal advice. If you would like to learn how to protect your stuff in three easy steps, call Godfrey Law Offices at 574-237-9000 or email them at info at godfreylawoffices.com. And for a free will offering, you can receive a copy of the Friends of God Rosary Booklet. Go to RedeemerRadio.com forward slash sandwich and fill out the form for more information. You can download this or any other episode of our show by searching The Sandwich Generation wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe. You've been listening to The Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey.
This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.